Man, I, I wish people in church or people in the, the congregations would talk more about how churches sometimes use poor people to feel good about themselves. Hmm. And the reason I say that is because obviously with the work that I do uh, from our organization, we always have a lot of faith-based communities get involved and they come in, they swoop in and they throw a bunch of money at stuff and you know, everybody's happy and they take pictures and then they go back and nobody ever sees them again. Mm. And I'll never forget having a conversation with a kid who received a bike for Christmas because the church wanted to donate bikes because that was cute. And the young man didn't even know how to ride a bike mm. because nobody ever taught him. These waters are uncharted and Hey there. How is everyone? Um, so I'm embarrassed. See, I was on vacation with my family last week and the time of the vacation is irrelevant. So I wanted to apologize to everyone. I had intended to be much better planned for last Monday's release of that, what, minute and a half, three minute episode there that I put out. But, you know, mistakes happen. Sometimes people leave a power cable. And um, that's okay. It actually forced me to do no work and to stay on vacation. But um, anyway, that out of the way, I'm excited to be back. I am recharged and vacation was good. And I hope that your summer's going well. For me, kids go back to school here in a few weeks. And that's insane. So yeah, a couple quick announcements. So store is back up. Merchandise is there. Patron supporters, you do get a discount. So before you buy anything, reach out to me. Make sure you've got that code. If not, uh, there's at least two new designs in there. I've commissioned a few more because I'm not the best artisan in church today. I had another idea for something else that I'd like to have uh, done. I'll have to see if I can draw it up and then find someone that is more talented than me to make it a reality. But that is there uh, before we get going, the normal podcast thing, you know, rate and review the show. It it helps tremendously. And I also really wanted to say thank you to Jack. Welcome to the community here on Patreon. I'm excited to have you. If you haven't joined him and the other people like him, they're brilliant people. They wouldn't make a mistake, right? And uh, you should join in with them. That is out of the way. So Terrence Lester and I had a conversation one day before work and... I loved it. Now, full disclosure, I brought him on to talk about his book, and we skirted the edges. I have since then read the book, and it is amazing. It is very good. Um, but we skirted the edges of it because I was not able to read his full book before we chatted. And I'm embarrassed to say so because that's one of my one of my goals. But it just didn't happen because life got in the way. But the conversation was great. I got a lot out of it. I hope that you do. And um, here we go. With Terrence Lester. Here we go. Correct me if I'm wrong, Terrence. You got like five degrees, right? Or 17 degrees, something like that. <laughs> Seth, man, uh, I have four degrees, and I'm currently in a PhD program, so I'm halfway through that, uh, studying public policy and social change. I just wanted to make sure that I introduced you correctly. Um, you know, <laughs> if you're a doctor, I want to lean into that. If you're, So I guess you're a master then, but um, I don't know what the right, maybe, you're, maybe, I don't know. You're a lot of things. So what would you say to people that are, you know, by the way, let me back up. Welcome to the show. I don't know what happened. I think our, 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 our easy chat at the beginning kind of got me out of my normal rhythm there. Um, but welcome to the show. And what would you say to people when they're like, I don't know who, like I saw the name in the little iTunes show notes. So this dude's name is Terrence, but who is that? Like, what are you? And maybe more importantly, why are you that? Yeah. Wow. That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I think we have built the rapport uh, before we actually started. But, 
Man, I don't normally like to describe myself in terms of things that I've accomplished or uh, uh, my education. If I was to describe myself, I, I would like to describe myself based upon the things that are passion for me. I, I am passionate about uh, my wife, um, who I have been married uh, going on 15 years in August. We'll nice. celebrate 15 years. Uh, we married really young. I'm passionate about my children. Uh, my children are my legacy. Um, I oftentimes tell people that I'm hustling for my last name and not my first. And I mean that through and through. Uh, I want my kids to be able to look at the life that I am living, the life that my wife is living, and feel a sense of empowerment from our family structure and our core values and what we stand for. Um, I am passionate about service, um, sp specifically to those who are living on the margins of society or those persons who have been made invisible uh, through laws and ordinances and uh, political and social rhetoric. And I am also passionate about, man, just being a good neighbor uh, to all people. And when I say good neighbor, I'm talking about uh, uh, being a neighbor to all of persons in a community mm. uh, and extending tables as well, uh, instead of building walls. So. That's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. So my wife and I just celebrated our 15th. I have no idea when this will air, but we're in the middle part of June here. So we had our 15th at the first week of June there. Um, it was great. Grandma watched all the kids at my house. So I didn't have to pay for child care or dog care. Well, I always got to pay for child care. Or you lose your spot, you know, because I got to be at work normally. But yeah, so I don't know how old you are. Your skin looks younger than mine. Maybe you've been out in the sun less. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> so I, I don't think that you could have gotten married too young because I feel like just looking at you, we've got to be close. And um, I don't want to call myself old yet. I'm not willing to do that. How old are you, Terrence? I am 38 years old. Yeah, definitely. So. I just turned 39 in May. So yeah, you. I didn't get married young and nor am I old. So happy 15th early, man. 15's a good year. 15's a good year for sure the so the publisher of your book you know they send me this book jacket like as a pdf right and in that you're like all cleaned up and i, I gotta say like i prefer this haircut and that beard i'm a i'm a beard dude and and people that aren't you know on patreon can't see the video but are, are you gonna keep this like when when you when you back out and about like is this a thing i like this this is much nicer yeah. than that than that like that was a PhD headshot for like a faculty like <laughs> listing is what that was. Right. Yeah. I mean, I am, I am settling into the hair growth. I love a beard now. Mm -hmm. um, Saves a lot I of time. Have, yeah. I've, I've grown my hair out. So I'm thinking I'm going to sit with this a while. <laughs> i like it so there is a method to that madness so one of the things of my of my stalking and sleuthing on the internet is you wrote a blog post recently and you referenced your your current hairstyle um and i have uh, quite a few friends that happen to not be white and they've also told me about things like that and like educating their kids and and you do a lot of things um you were you were underselling yourself in your little who am i and what am i like you work at an intersection of like pastoral care, social work, justice, advocacy, I would argue maybe a prophetic voice. Um, like you've done a lot of things and, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you feel like any of those are incorrect, but can you give some context and I'll link, I, and I do a transcript for the show as well. I'll link for people that can't listen, that want to read it. I'll link to it right here, right there. That nice word here will be linked. But for those listening, like I'd like to kind of start there because I think it would give a good perspective to dive off into some of the things I want to talk about as we as we launch into you got a book that just released and some of the work that you do and kind of why you do some of the work that you do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, man, I am always uh, a person that likes to talk about the intersection of my racial identity and culture um, with, uh, being synonymous with my faith because I am a black man in America and I have never had the privilege of separating 
who I am, my racial identity uh, from my faith. I can't separate those two things. I follow Jesus and I still can be mistreated. I follow Jesus, but I still can walk into a restaurant uh, to stand in line to purchase healthy food and then have the manager, uh, like I was talking about in this blog, come over to me uh, and subtly harass me, Mm. um, looking at my hair, asking me what what am I doing here, Um, why have I chosen to sit uh, in a public setting. When I look around, I see uh, people who are white sitting at other tables who are not being asked these types of questions. Uh, the security guard uh, comes over as if I am causing some type of trouble. Um, I was asked if I, yeah, sitting there. <laughs> I, had, I was even asked if I had paid for my food and I had to reach in my pocket and produce uh, the receipt. But it started to make me realize that in certain settings um, that even as a person who is pursuing a PhD, has uh, multiple degrees, uh, literally get I give my life uh, sacrificially to be proximate and present with a community of persons who are without homes. None of that matters because all persons see is uh, my skin color or how I wear my hair. And it's always interesting being in those circumstances because when you're going through it, it's, it feels very traumatizing and shocking. But later you get a chance to process what happened to pull out or mine out some type of lesson to communicate uh, to a, a much larger audience. And that's what I try to do uh, with how I live my life or the personal experiences that I go through. I'm always looking for ways to take moments and turn them into uh, teaching moments for other people. And so if you have been uh, discriminatory towards a person of color who has had longer hair or natural hair, I would definitely encourage you to be very conscious and be aware of your mannerisms and your behaviors and things that could be damaging uh, to persons who should also be included. Yeah. Can I ask, hopefully an appropriate, but definitely an ignorant question, because my kids have asked me this before, because we'll talk about uh, implicit and and unconscious biases. Um, We've talked about this for their daycare, for their school, for our neighbors. Like, you know, I live, we live right next door um, to a gentleman's name. I'm not going to say his name because he didn't give me permission. Um, That happens to be black. The guy before him was not black and we have just a good relationship. It doesn't really matter who, because you know, he's good people. I like him. Um, he's very, he, he's very kind and, he, and he, he loves all my kids sometimes when they're out there playing. So I, I got no issues with him. But as a person that I've, I've never had to deal with that, Terrence, like I, I was born with the right amount of pigmentation that for the most part, leave me, people leave me alone. What is the role of someone else sitting in, in the setting that you're in or really in any setting um, that hopefully claims to be a Christian. So we're supposed to love everyone and and do what we're supposed to be doing. And even if they don't, I think that, uh, you know, the morality of the world would say, that's not how we treat people. What should someone like me do? Like if I'm observing that happen, like what is the right response? Mm. Yeah. You know, you, you bought, you brought up, um, those two forms of biases, uh, I'll, I'll just start with the unconscious bias. Um, there was, it was years ago when uh, ML King was talking about the differences between uh, de jure discrimination and de facto discrimination. Uh, de jure discrimination had to do with laws that were actually put in place uh, that discriminated against uh, black people in this country. You can't drink at this water fountain. Mm -hmm. You can't vote. You have to have a certain amount of education to fill out a voter registration card. I mean, black codes, uh, all of the laws Mm -hmm. that emerged from uh, Jim Crowism. And so that was being discriminated against by law. Well, when some of those laws began to be wiped away and abolished, that didn't mean that the behaviors or the posture of heart changed, right? 
that's when it became de facto. De facto uh, describes the behaviors and the practices or the disposition that still embodies the laws that weren't in, in, in existence anymore. And I think unconsciously, a lot of the, the behaviors and practices have been passed down and subconsciously uh, it is uh, still a form of discrimination that persons of color have to go through. Whether you know it or not, uh, it's, it's just been embedded within the context of culture. As a black man, I would like to see my white counterparts or my white uh, persons that stand in solidarity with the struggle speak up. Like in the moment, like right then. In the moment, right there. Think about it. I was sitting at this table and I went from being a patron or somebody who is patronizing this business to being a person who is on display. (laughs) And nobody said nothing. I became uh, this weird character in a, you know, metaphorical stage play, if you will. And I was becoming entertainment to people as opposed to people leaning in and speaking up. Um, I think after speaking up, you know, this whole notion of creating these type of rhythmic practices in your life where you are, uh, doing things that are outside of your normal routine is appropriate. For instance, I was given a talk uh, the other day and one of the questions came up and there's like, they were like, well, how do I escape my bubble? And I'm like, well, the only reason you're in the bubble is because you're doing things that are routine mm-hmm. for your bubble. Mm-hmm. Go outside of your, uh, your comfort zone if you shop at a, a white coffee shop, go to another part of town where you can uh, purchase coffee uh, in a community that is not your own. What I'm basically talking about is, you know, starting to to in like develop this idea of what proximity and presence really means. But you have to start with speaking up. So see, it's like you're a professional speaker because where i wanted to lean was your new book which again i told you i think before we recorded that i haven't had the ability to read more than the first (laughs) chapter and i don't ever ask first chapter questions terrence because i feel like that's for people that did not read the book like they just they put in the minimal amount of effort um and then also full disclosure i usually read every single word of whatever we're going to talk about before i do because your time is valuable you know um so that's why i want to be so upfront with that but your new book, from what I can tell, and from videos that I've watched and other people writing about what, you know, writing about the book and the endorsement successfully from Father Boyle, like, you're, you're making the case that, like, proximity is, is, is the way of life that we need to get to. Like, community is the way of life. Um, but I'd like to start maybe, um, and let me, let me back up. So the book is When We Stand, um, The Power of Seeking Justice Together. Uh, that way you yeah. don't have to say it, and, and you know, because, you know, why not? Um, but I don't think that most people have a good concept for what community is. I think most people say community is the people that I see day in and day out, which is slightly different from what you're saying for someone trying to actually help bring a little bit more shalom into the world, to use a fancy word. Um, but since you've got 17 degrees, we, we're, we're there. I do not, but I've read a lot of books. Like, How would you define community in the sense that you want people to kind of understand it for the work that you do? Yeah, I I think community is something that has been abused. Well, the term itself, because we have to ask, you know, whose community? Mm. Um, Are we talking about the community uh, within the context of a dense neighborhood that has redeveloped homes, that has gates around their subdivision? Are we talking about that community or are we talking about of the community that has uh, a private school uh, also in the same dense neighborhood uh, that looks like a college campus, but it's for K through 12 students. Mm. Uh, but, you know, a block over is a food desert for those other quote unquote residents in the community. Yeah. So we always have to start with whose community. Um, and I start there because when I talk about community, I am talking about the whole community. Um, I am talking about when persons, uh, within the context of that community 
have been made aware that they are not the only ones in the community. Um, I've been asked uh, several times about people without an address and how do you uh, build relationships and be proximate to people who may be impoverished. And I normally respond with a a conversation that I had with a well-known friend of mine Uh, He was talking about how he had the privilege of uprooting out of a suburban neighborhood and moving into a really dense area. Uh, He's been there for 40 years. And before he moved into this community, um, he always saw persons who struggled with poverty and, um, you know, uh, lack of access as being persons who were lazy and, uh, you know, uh, not wanting to put in hard work. But then he said he moved closer in proximity and slowly the struggles of the community became his own struggles. Mm. Um, that when he was in church with his neighbors, uh, who probably didn't bring in the same amount of income that he brought in, but he started to hear the concerns of rents uh, mortgages and uh, rent payments being raised uh, because the area was being gentrified, uh, that they were literally in church praying to God that they would uh, uh, make it through and have enough to cover the inflation, uh, but still knowing that they probably wouldn't and they, they would be displaced because of the gentrification. He said their concerns became his concerns. Mm. And when I see community, I'm talking about uh, it's this shared sense of humanity and it's this shared sense of togetherness uh, within the context of community. And it is, includes everyone in it, not just uh, those who are, have been isolated. Yeah. Are you a fan of rap music, Terrence? I am, brother. So my favorite, amongst my favorite artists is Propaganda. And honestly, this is like, I think the third episode in a row. Now I'm not going to release these in a row. So listeners won't probably catch up on that. And I might even edit this out because that way it feels like, so all I've been doing is listening to his new album, Terraform. I don't know if you've listened to that album or not. If you haven't, I think it's going to, have you heard it? Not yet. Dude, do it today. It's just six songs. I don't even know if that's technically an album, but it goes with the book that he just released, which I also haven't read. But his very first song reminds me a lot of what you just said. So I'll just read you the intro real quick. So he says, let me tell you about this shorthand me and you use. It's how we decide if somebody is safe. There's talking points. That's how you know if they are in the fence or outside of the fence, whether you're safe or not. But I suggest a redo because like it or not, we are all that we got which Mm. that last line, like it or not, like this is the community, like, like it or not, we are all that we've got. My problems are your problems. My faith is maybe your faith. Your faith is my faith. Your kids need to succeed because I live here. Like I I live here and your kids will one day help take care of me and I'll help take Mm. care of them. You know what I mean? Because I live here um, regardless of their politics or whatever. So so your book, what are you getting at in that book? Again, I'm sure there's 250 pages there. So there's a lot there. What is the overarching narrative and the goal of the book as you're seeking to talk about community and justice? Yeah, that, um, that true justice happens when uh, persons decide to come together. I take a lot of uh, M.L. King's uh, writings when he uses languages uh, like world world house or global village or uh, interconnectedness. Uh, there's a sermon that he gave in 1967. It's a, a Christmas sermon where he's talking about when you wake up in the morning, you can't start your day without having a global encounter. You know, he's talking about where you got your uh, cup of coffee from. Mm. Where did you get your uh, shirt from? Who made that? You know, the decor in your house, he's helping us to see the entire world as an address as opposed to only your physical address, helping us to understand that we are all in this, this life together. And I take that framework and I'm trying to uh, push people to see themselves as being contributors uh, to the collective fabric of social change by connecting with their neighbors Like I often ask, what are you doing in your context right around you? And many times people think that they don't have anything to offer 
Mm. or that what they may offer is too small. <laughs> what I'm suggesting that if you uh, give of your gifts or talents or whatever it is that you bring to, to get to the table, uh, connected with other people's uh, offerings, then that's how we uh, truly start to see uh, change happening within our local context. And I think uh, true change happens locally and it spreads across the country and across the globe. And most persons are overwhelmed in trying to tackle an entire issue by themselves as opposed to locking arms with uh, people right around them to make a difference right right in their own community. Yeah. Oh, here's the thing. It's that time. You can hit the button if you want, right? You know, skip 30 seconds or skip a minute, but I will be right back. Even bloom. Time is never running out. And moving on. I can't find a way to slow it down. When it's gone, it's gone. Did I let it slip away? just flickered <laughs> so um i think the light's going bad so it's probably going to happen again we'll have a little strobe effect happening here so i want to ask a question about self-worth and i keep being reminded of a conversation i had with dr richard beck who's a psychologist out of abilene christian university talked about mm-hmm. how most people are averse to things that are not in their bubble like there's like a spit test like you take spit in your mouth right now and swallow it you're fine you spit it in a dixie cup and try to swallow it immediately it's not even contaminated it's still your spit and you can't drink it you can't do it because it's left you and so there's like a concept of self and so as you are witnessing with people and you've got your organization love beyond walls right that's the name of the organization that you help start yeah. i think you help start um and then hopefully partnering with churches and cities and mayors and city councils and maybe school boards like what has changed for your version of the concept of self and in relation to other people's concept of self to help prepare that? Because I think most people ignore the people in our community, the homeless, the people disenfranchised, the people that were in the same place that you were, you know, while you're, while you're getting abused because you got the wrong haircut while you're trying to eat. You know better than that. You, you, you got to clean up. Yeah. What, how has your concept of self changed me over the last decades as you've, as you've worked through this work and then how are you helping to communicate that to organizations and people that can then take that and maybe further that ministry? Yeah, man, I, I'll never forget having a, a conversation with, I was on staff at a church and one of my best friends, I was, I think I was like uh, 27 and one of my best friends was 68. Um, <laughs> his name was Mr. Gene. And Mr. Gene and I would sit around and like have coffee and, and talk. And he'll, I'll never forget him telling me that there were two types of people in life. He says there are accumulators and then there are distributors. And he was talking about himself because he was in a phase of life where he was downsizing and he was starting to uh, distribute a, a bunch of stuff. And he says, man, I missed a bunch of years uh, collecting a bunch of stuff and I could have uh, been living my life distributing and living with open hands as Harry Nowen talks about. And I'll never forget taking that and like just really sitting with that and wanting that to shape how I live my life, how I raise my family, uh, to know that we aren't just being accumulators right we're not just focused on you know amassing a bunch of stuff or amassing a bunch of titles and just like being about ourselves but we are seeking to understand how can we uh, take those things that we have been graced to possess and steward and be uh, distributors of goodness and justice and all of those things in the world around us and so that is at the core of who i am so when I walk into spaces, I'm communicating messages that call people to think outside of themselves, uh, to think about uh, what's around them, uh, to push back against this uh, psychology bi- uh, bias that you're talking about, uh, to push back against this this notion of just being about self. Because 
I think we have all of those messages around us all of the time to be about yourself to amass a bunch of stuff. I mean, we're marketed to daily mm. and um, it creates a, a type of selfish and indifferent and apathetic culture. And normally when I go in, I, I am working with organizations and giving talks and stuff. I'm trying to help people to see how they can be, um, a good representation of what home is. And I define home even in my last book as a place where you feel seen, accepted, and you feel like you belong. Mm. How are you creating a space or spaces within the context of your life where people feel seen, accepted, and feel like they belong? And no matter if you have an address or not, uh, you're still a neighbor. Uh, as a matter of fact, you don't need an address to be considered a neighbor. Uh, in in the words of Jesus, that all are worthy, and that's what I I love doing. That's my passion. Yeah, and that's the that's the lens, bro. How do you how do how do I I don't know how to answer ask this question in, in the best way. So I feel like I totter or teeter teeter totter between intentionally doing it well and then unintentionally not caring if I'm doing it well. And then, then realizing that and then trying to do it well. And I think a lot of that is because of the inputs coming in, you know, between Facebook, Twitter, algorithms, the news, only telling me the things that are going to sell ads. So it's always the, the most hyperbolic stuff and the most vitriolic stuff. So how does someone yeah. kind of sit and cut through all of that crap, for lack of a better word, and then like focus on what matters? Like how do you practice things to kind of, okay, here's the line. The rest doesn't matter. Here's what does matter. Yeah, man, I think, I don't know. I think I've just fashioned my mind to see diet as being more than just food. Diet is essentially more than just food. It's what you watch. It's what you consume. Um, it's who you listen to. It's who you allow to influence you. Um, it's the type of, um, you know, messages that you hold uh, dear to your heart. It's the confirmation bias mm. sometimes uh, that you're only searching for things that, you know, affirm yeah. your core beliefs. It's not putting yourself in a place where you are uh, challenged. And I've just always been a person to be very intentional about allowing uh, the consumption of things to not just be about what I'm eating on a plate. There are some times where I'm really intentional about not being on social media a lot, although uh, my accounts are set up where there's a, a rhythmic posting. I write a lot. Uh, there are times when I'm being intentional in the conversations that I'm having. I love to have conversations with people who don't even think like me, mm. uh, which has one, been one of the hugest uh, blessings in my life because it gives me an opportunity not only to grow, but to challenge the ways that I think and uh, open my heart up uh, and posture myself to really wrestle with if uh, something that I've been holding in my heart is true or false. And if it's false, and if I come to that conclusion, being courageous enough to let it go. Yeah. Right. Um, which has been a, a really uh, powerful thing of growth. And then, um, for me, man, I, I'm, I'm constantly asking what will come of my life. Uh, it reminds me of that passage, uh, that Jesus, when he was talking about, I think he said some words like, you know, what profits a man to, to gain the whole world and then lose his soul. Well, I interpret that as what are you going after? You know, what are your priorities? And for me, I've just always been a person that prioritized my life around things that I'm really passionate about and uh, created the margin in my life to literally give of myself to those passions. Most people have a lot of passions and they are willing. They just don't have the availability. Mm. It's not a matter of willingness. It's a matter of availability. And I think that is a, a priority question that you're asking. So I'm, I'm running up against here in a minute. I actually have to go to work. Um, I want to end with a couple 
longer form, deep questions that you can answer in a sentence or you can answer in a book. It doesn't matter to me. Um, one of yeah. them is I finally decided to just play on the sarcastic name of the title of the podcast because I figured, why not? It's been there for long enough and I intentionally left it alone and now I will. So you have a lot of experiences that I think many people just don't experience. I mean, you you spent, the, I, we skipped a lot of your story. Like you spend the time intentionally being homeless so that you could get yeah. like that perspective. You've, I mean, you've done things that most people don't do. Um, I was watching one of the documentaries, I think on some website, like literally you're like, no, I'm just going to go down here with a sandwich board and we're going to get this dude a job. Like you, you do things that, that don't, <laughs> like that don't, you know, that, that, that most people don't do. So what do you as, as a, congregant of a faith community feel like we should be allowed to talk about at church but we don't and people are like yeah you can't say that at church like we don't talk about that here that's the wrong boat to be rocking and then what if we did like what would change yeah gosh Seth. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the question of the hour Man, you know, I think I would want to see churches talk more about... And I don't necessarily mean from the pulpit either. Like, I just mean anyone in that faith body. Anyone in the faith body. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't necessarily mean, like, the preacher telling people what to talk... Like, like literally, like... that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I I wish people in church or people in the, the congregations would talk more about how churches sometimes use poor people to feel good about themselves. Mm. And the reason I say that is because obviously with the work that I do uh, for my organization, we always have a lot of faith-based communities get involved and they come in, they swoop in and they throw a bunch of money at stuff and you know, everybody's happy and they take pictures and then they go back and nobody ever sees them again. Mm. And I'll never forget having a conversation with a kid who received a bike for Christmas because his church wanted to donate bikes because that was cute. And the young man didn't even know how to ride a bike mm. because nobody ever taught him. And that is the reason I'm talking about uh, proximity and presence so much. You know, every now and then we'll have, you know, some congregants who will come and they'll be for the event, but the event grips their heart and it changes them. And they want to move from an event mindset to a lifestyle mindset and they dwell. Right. And I think we need to have a real intentional conversation about how can we be more present and proximate and, uh, you know, long lasting in communities as a, as opposed to specifically poor communities, as opposed to just picking and choosing, and then celebrating from stage mm. or patting ourselves on the back mm. and saying we did the Jesus thing, uh, but forgetting that uh, Jesus dwelt among people. Yeah, that is that bike story. That's that is a powerful image, I think, for the for the posture of of most people, um, especially people with with some wealth and some power. Um, and the reason it like when you said that, like my, I got some goosebumps, you can't see the goosebumps cause I got dressed up for this convo. Nobody <laughs> told you there was a dress code, but there definitely, <laughs> there definitely is. Um, my, so my youngest daughter has a bike and she can't go on bike rides with us. And it's, it's, it's awful. And she'll tell you, I don't know how to ride the bike. No. And we try to show her, but there's a point where, you know, she's got to want to, you know, we're, we're trying to do it, but I can't imagine the, the point of view of the child and, and especially as I think about that like faith like like we're out here trying to get people saved and no one's out here trying to help people live in a, live in, in a community like that is that's a powerful yeah. there's a lot there that 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 story is doing a lot more work that I'm gonna I'm a wrestle with that today I like that a lot um yeah I like that a lot so um I got one maybe two more questions um and then, and then I'll give you back your day. So when you try to describe like what God is, like someone comes up and correctly asks, Hey, I just, I don't want that junk. I just want to know when you try to say what God is, like, what are you actually saying? What, what are the words that you're wrapping around? Whatever that is. Mm. That is a, a very, um, 
It's a very deep question. Um, it reminds me of the story when I first started Love Beyond Walls. Uh, my wife and kids were dropping me off underneath the bridge for me to actually um, live as one experiencing homelessness. I had a house at this point. Um, and my family allowed me to live on the streets for over a month. Uh, eating out of trash cans, sleeping on the bridges, being put out of shelters. I mean, struggling in the cold, having to stay up 24, 48 hours to keep warm. I mean, going through uh, having beer cans thrown at me, all of these different things. I'll never forget one night specifically, um, it started raining, had a wind chill of like seven degrees. I walk over to my friend's uh, tent. His name was uh, Tony. Um, Tony had a terminal illness and I, I asked him and I said, Tony, man, how, how do you survive out here? It's cold and my, my, my toes feel like popsicles. He goes into his tent. He gives me his last donated pair of socks. And um, he says, man, we just got to uh, share uh, to make it. Mm. Man, I think that is what God is like. God is love um, in the midst of struggle. God is sacrifice uh, in the midst of crisis. God is one that brings people together. Um, and God is one that where uh, when all of life has been stripped down to, to rubble, uh, love is what the, the very thing that keeps you warm. Um, you know, um, a lot of my friends underneath that bridge that same night stood around a campfire and we didn't have firewood. And so we had to burn donated clothes mm. in this campfire just to keep warm. And many of them talked about how churches would come and pass out flyers and everybody would leave. And when we started to talk about the reasons why I stayed, um, they started to talk about Jesus in this way um, that was very different from the way that we hear Jesus in the church. And I'm not Jesus. I'm just a, a follower of Jesus. And he says, man, many of us would see more of God if people start uh, dwelt with us instead of left us. Mm. So when I talk about how God, uh, or I communicate, uh, God to people, specifically those without an address, I talk about God being a God who dwells in the power of relationships. Um, yeah. And that's the most powerful expression uh, that I, I can communicate, uh, to a person because what I'm saying is you are so worth it. Um, that you, um, that you, uh, that you are deserving of a community of people to see you and wrap their arms around you. So I want to ask a question that you don't have to answer. And if you don't want to answer it, I'll edit it out, except for in this video. Cause again, we've referenced, I don't know how to do that and I'm, and I'm not going to learn. So I was in stalking your Twitter timeline. Um, you put on there that you're going to talk to NBC about Juneteenth this week, and that may have already happened. Um, however, a lot of people that look like me learned about what Juneteenth was last year because a lot of businesses finally put their, uh, we will forfeit profitability, you know, because this matters and Black Lives Matter, and you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm curious if you would say, and again, this won't release in time for Juneteenth because that's just not going to sure. happen. But I, I think it would still be relevant, like, what is the impact of Juneteenth? Because I saw yesterday, at least, and I don't think it's signed into law yet, but it looks like like Congress has overwhelmingly said this is now a federal holiday, and maybe I'm wrong in that. Like, what is the impact of that? Um, just for someone, and it doesn't even have to be related to the church or theology, but since you're already preparing to talk to NBC, unless you already have, um, I'm just curious what you would say to that. And the reason I, I say you don't have to answer that is I know that puts you on the spot, and I don't want to make you speak like monolithically for all, for, for everyone. Listen, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So 
yeah, I got a chance to, to record, um, you know, some thoughts about Juneteenth and share that in a compilation that will come out later this week. Um, you know, when I reflect on Juneteenth and, and what it means, I mean, firstly, I mean, gosh, man, these enslaved Africans uh, in Galveston, Texas, um, here for the first time, General Order Number 3, uh, that declares their freedom, right? A year ago. And yeah. <laughs> and and here here's the thing. The signing of the Emancipation Proclamation happened three years before they heard this news. Mm. Right? And so the this this whole idea of what freedom really meant for enslaved Africans is that it was a delayed freedom. Mm. Um and it needs to be recognized in my in my understanding of it because it acknowledges the long road to to struggle to freedom uh, for Black people in this country, but it also educates uh, people about a freedom that was delayed. Um, and I support it because you know it's it gives me an opportunity to celebrate the collective history and heritage um, that speaks to you know the freedom of Black people. Um, it validates my existence, but it also pays homage to people um, and my ancestors or our ancestors that who were bought and, and enslaved and sold for profit. Uh, but it also commemorates this this moment that their sacrifice was not in vain. And it also reminds us to think about how much more work we have to do in terms of providing racial equity and uh, mm. racial justice in this country. Um yeah, so that's my reflection on Juneteenth. Yeah, delayed is the, is the word there, right? That was delayed. Recognition of this day was delayed. And, mm. and delayed freedom. Yeah. Could you imagine being free and not even knowing it? Again, no, no, no. Um, but it does make me question that's where we're at. Like, like that's, yeah. that's where we've made it. And that's, that's the, on the delayed timeline. That's mm. where we've made it. Like that took years to get delivered. And then that took what, 200, 200 I don't know how many. <laughs> 200 so years to be recognized. The, the time operates at a, the time operates at a different level, which is really infuriating when you're wondering, all right, so what, what gets delayedly, delayedly um, addressed maybe when my kids are my age? Like, what are we finally going to address then? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, mm. I don't know. And that's not my voice to say, but it does make me wonder, like, and I like your word of delayed there. I hadn't really considered it that way um, at all. Where do you, where do you plug, plug the places that people need to do the things that they should be doing or that they already should yeah. have been doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> man, if, if people want to look up the work that we do with our organization, uh, they can check out lovebeyondwalls.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. That's at Love Beyond Walls. Um, if they want to look me up, if they care to, uh, I'm Terrence Lester. That's I-M-T-E-R-E-N-C-E-L-E-S-T-E-R. And if you want to check out When We Stand um, and you've been, you know, just overwhelmed with all of the injustices of the world and you're looking for a practical way to get involved in community, uh, check out When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together, uh, wherever you buy books. Thank you very much, Terrence, for your morning and for your time and also for your still delayed breakfast. We're just going to lean on that <laughs> delay. So. No, it's intentional. <laughs> it's intentional. The color of midnight when tears fall. That metaphor that Terrence had about the way that many church bodies come into an area and basically give away bikes like we throw money at problems instead of throwing our hearts into problems and we'll say that our heart is in the right place but honestly we go back home and we do what we want to do we watch our movies talk about on netflix pop back on the facebook and totally forget about the people that we metaphorically and sometimes literally have given quote-unquote bikes to and we haven't done anything to help them use them we're not equipping people. We're not equipping ourselves. And um, yeah, I've continued to wrestle with that. But 
It was a joy to have Terrence on. I do want to say again, thank you so much to the producers of the show, the patrons, join in over there. And uh, Remedy Drive, as well as always, thank you for your music in this show. And the, thank you for your music in this episode. With all that said, I hope that you are so well as you're finding joy in new and unexpected places. Be blessed. Your eyes, sing your song.